This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Shake Them Ropes, Jeff Hawkins, Chris Novembrino. Bit of a warning for those of you. I, st- I still give the warning for the one person who I know <laughs> listens to this with kids in the car. Uh, we are going to Don't be know how you're going to do that with this episode. Uh, we're going to be talking about adult situations. Uh, Chris may get involved with some partial nudity. I don't know. but um, uh, I should hope not. I'm really, be, I'm really trying to keep things right this time. It's going to be a PG-13 conversation. Uh, today so earmuffs for the kids or maybe better not just put it in the minivan today uh let's start with some fun and frivolity first uh chris told me right before i hit record you're watching the renegade look uh every so often why not mongo what the (laughs) i i i was doing that i i because like my my wrestling digest when we're not watching stuff for the show is i just go and watch old archival wcw from like 88 to 96 a little bit before my time and like right in kind of the peak young chris watching pro wrestling stuff it's like i Look, there's always a Bobby Eaton match is sort of my (laughs) mantra. Bobby, you can always watch Bobby Eaton doing something cool that you haven't seen before. Like this week, I watched a really good match between him and stunning Steve Austin, 91, uh, where Steve Austin could really go and he was really mobile. And Bobby Eaton's a really great foil for him. And you're like, oh, wow, Bobby Eaton's great. But uh, uh, Saturday night, uh, I was a bit wiped out from moving uh, somebody yesterday. And I got home, and uh, things got a little silly. And I might have fired up the old YouTube, and I watched some, like, summary of the Renegade's career. And I was like, oh, yeah, the Renegade. And then I went and looked up old Renegade matches. And because uh, someone said on one of these videos I was watching that the Renegade was about as good as the ultimate warrior in the ring. And, and I am here to tell you, Jeff, I'm here to tell you, he is slightly better. Wait, no, the Ultimate Warrior slightly better or the Renegade? The Renegade because he can do No, he can can do a top rope splash. Like like the Renegade can do a handspring back elbow. The Ultimate Warrior could not do a handspring back elbow. I give Ultimate Warrior credit for working in world class for a while. So I, what did I, he do in the ring? Okay, in fine. Class? And that, that, that's all. I'm, I'm not saying who's the better talent or like who's the better overall package. Obviously, the Ultimate War. Even if the Renegade came first, the Ultimate War would still be better because like Jim Helwig had like the better body. The Gorilla Press Slam looked awesome. His his version of the entrance was dynamic. The dude was like pure energy. He just couldn't put it together in the ropes. All I'm saying is, there's no way Jim Helwig ever has the discipline to learn how to do a handspring back elbow. I watched Battle of the Belts 3 last night from 1986. Uh, main event, Luger versus Flair, two out of three falls, Oof. which turned out to be a draw somehow. <laughs> Lex, Lex always finds a way. Well, this was, uh, I think, well, this is 86, so this is shortly before, this is while he's still in Florida. And right before he was meant to go up to NWA 
uh, big boy in Charlotte. Uh, <laughs> favorite match out of there was uh, Mo- a young young Muda as the ninja versus Tim Horner, who <laughs> Tim Horner from 1982 to 1994, I think had the same gimmick of young up and cover <laughs> Tim Horner <laughs> and everybody passed him by. Like I remember there's, there was a squash in mid South. I watched um, from like 1983, I think of Martin Lundy versus Tim Horner, where Horner was going over <laughs> at the time. You know, Tully Blanchard versus Tim Horner, where Tim Horner goes over, and, and then uh, and then they both go to Charlotte and make lots of money, and Tim Horner's still working that gimmick through Smoky Mountain. So <laughs> that's nice to get those protected wins. Okay. I, oh, another thing that I've gotten into in the retro thing is uh, the Mulkey Brothers. Oh, they're I have great. A- I have a thing for watching the Mulkey brothers get the tar kicked out of them. Oh, they're, they're so great. I mean, if you want to watch people die every week, the Mulkey brothers are for you. I, and, and then you have to finish it with the, uh, with the Crockett Cup qualifier against the quote-unquote gladiators, who I believe are Gary Royal and uh, George South. Under This is where the Mulkies get the win, right? Yes, where they get the win. And Mulkey Mania runs wild. Yes, mm. that's, that's, a, that's a must. All right, heavy stuff time. Um, <laughs> he says with a nervous chuckle, hashtag speaking out started with a young woman who had had a relationship with David Starr. Um, I had known that he had cheated on her. I've met her once or twice. Her name's Tori. She's very nice. She wouldn't know me from Adam, but I've met her. Um, and then allegations that it was just more than cheating. It was mental abuse, some sexual assault in there. And then, then it all went, uh, started rolling from there. And it's really rocked UK wrestling. Uh, a lot of NXT UK talents involved in this. A lot of indie talents still on the indie. Still Joey Ryan, Legero, Jack Gallagher is the one axe to fall. I guess, because he's been fired from the WWE. A couple of stories about him, one involving alcohol and doing horrible things, and then another being kind of a jerk in the ring uh, with, I believe, a member of the opposite sex putting a chokehold on her, which is just inexcusable. Um, You know, most of NXT, NXT UK, you, I mean, you have Travis Banks, you have Joe Coffey, um, <laughs> Tyler Bate and Trent Seven have been named a couple times, but, you know, who knows? I, I Where to start with this, Chris? I will let you go first. I have some thoughts um, that, will, um, that, that I'll try and uh, frame this as, but I'll let you go. Well, I guess what I will say as a general thing is that I don't like talking about any one of these stories as a general thing. I I think that it's important for all parties involved for each one of these stories to get looked at with specificity. Um, So if if we want to start first with uh, the David Starr story, um, what what are the specific um, uh, physical allegations against him? Uh, there's one where, while they were in a relationship, uh, she was drunk and he had sex with her when she didn't want to. That's one of them. 
Um, there's also, um, I let me get this up, but I know that there's a lot of uh, the big thing that stuck out. For manipulation me was was a big part of this as well. I think a big part of this um, that I always find myself going to is I'm looking at rightly or wrongly. I seem to really be taking a look at the uh, the party's response to this, and I found David Starr's response to this to be unsettling at best because it was like uh, i want to make sure i get the language right or at least do a reasonable approximation thereof but it was <laughs> let's be clear i am not a sexual offender or i i'm not a sexual abuser but and i whenever i see that as the opening salvo it lets you know that this person is aware that they've got a bunch of aberrant behavior buried in there um, and it le- leads me to believe generally that perhaps you might be getting off easy here, um, that there's one of these stories and that perhaps there's more to come or there would be more to come if you, if we were going to put a finer point on it. Yeah. There's there. Well, I mean, for, for the David Starr thing, there's a rape allegation. There's a pressuring women into having sex. There we go. Yeah. I, I, th- I knew there was more than just the having sex when drunk thing. I I, I thought it was more yeah, weedy than that. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, and 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 just and also just cheating on every woman you ever date with, which is the least of the problems in my opinion. Uh, cheating on everybody that you ever date with is not a laudable behavior, and I'm pro monogamy no. and everything like that. But the the I that's that's a personal grievance thing um i i have been cheated on it doesn't give me the right to go and go hey you know who's a cheater and, and name names like that's that's weird um but the the sexual assault stuff of course absolutely yeah. and this goes into i mean what 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 has happened is we we keep rolling down hill hill is not just wrestling related it it's 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 office politics related it's training schools and things of that nature and for me the big problem here is that wrestling has a four-way intersection where this crap is going to happen in one of the sectors um let, let me bring up another thing real quick before i go into my monologue so to speak uh aew also affected by this because jimmy havoc has been accused of um, of some wrongdoing and their response to it wasn't great either in that it, it's the old he's gone into rehab yeah that was very it was a weird non sequitur where it's like jimmy havoc's in rehab right now and, and to which i go okay but if he went into rehab because of the drug problem and even if you want to link his abusive and aberrant behavior in other facets of his life to the fact that he's abusing drugs right now and he's not in his right mind that's fine but no one else working for you should have to be around someone who has those kind of problems um, or feel uncomfortable around someone or another performer. I think wrestling is such a, it's such an intimate activity. Um, and the, you know, you're, you, you have to trust each other so implicitly that I, I think when that trust is broken in any way, shape or form, it's utterly appropriate for an organization to cut ties. Right. And this seems like almost, <laughs> all right get off our backs we put them in rehab don't look at us don't look at anybody and we have signed because we're trying to we're trying to <laughs> we're trying to skate through this without without getting any harm to us yeah and keep just, focusing on wwe please yeah. if you don't mind um and, and those even NXT those UK, focus on those indie workers don't 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 come to us we're we're handling our business 
they're yeah. okay at this. They're, they're, they're pretty good at this little move, but I think people are going to start catching on eventually. And, and here is, I mean, before we go into even further specifics, because oh God, I, I'd say this even started with the, with the Velveteen Dream stuff, where you're, he's Absolutely. texting photos of himself to, I guess, 15-year-olds. And you and I, I felt, you know, we're fairly, I'll pat us on the back. I thought we were fairly even-handed about this, but I think our conclusion was you have to end the push with this guy. You absolutely can't keep moving forward with the push with this guy. Oh, you have to fire him until the court, or until the legal system has, has gotten through with him. If this Yes, right, right, right. No, I, I mean, there, there's a cloud over this dude's head. He can't be a part of your television product. That, that's what I was finishing okay. the sentence off today. Yeah, no, no, that's fine. Illegal stuff, that's a, <laughs> I mean, that's not he said, she said. That is break the law, bring in authorities. You're not coming in to work until this stuff is dealt with. Um, that, that, Dream's me, contention, which I do not believe, is that it's not him on those recordings. Well, okay, now do the photos. Um, and that's fine. It, it, you know what? If he's cleared of it, come back. I'm, I'm good with that, too. I, I really am. I, you know, if you're cleared of charges, and, you know, I know that's a slippery slope because, well, if somebody decides, well, I don't want to really ruin his life, so I'm going to drop the charges type thing. I get that there's that happening, but you, you have to take this at face value and say, okay, if you're clear to the charges, we'll reconsider. Maybe not come back. You know, may, maybe you won't be welcome back with open arms, but we'll reconsider. I'll, I'll take that. But there's. I find the Gallagher example really interesting, too, because it seems based on their statement. Uh, WWE statement when they released Gallagher that there is they have some sort of private detective team yes. that can look in and do some sort of independent verification on this and as they say in that second paragraph they don't have to wait around on process if they don't want to if they have you know, good compelling evidence and so like I, I just find this even more maddening in the context of all these other stories because it's like well then put your private investigation team on this and get to the bottom of this they I, could I, be taking this seriously yeah i brought this up to you um when we were talking about it and trying to <laughs> trying to gather our thoughts there's a lot of anybody's ever watched the old uh 70s football movie north dallas 40 there's a lot of that going on where you have an investigator looking in the players kind of thing to you know in case anything bubbles up the the management knows about it before it happens because there was I forgot who it was. There's a story of someone who went to Vince with things that were alleged and they basically looked at him and goes, Oh, we knew about it, we investigated, there's nothing to it. And and that's a little that's a little spooky. You know, that's uh that's oh, you know stuff before even I can come and bring it up to you type of thing. It's it's it also is a weird veiled threat in the sense that what you're yes. saying, we have private investigators and they could be looking into you, Pally. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and and that's what it was in North Dallas. 40 was they were looking for reasons to void contracts. So, you know, oh, we saw that you were doing pot with <laughs> well, yeah, but doing I was doing pot. Well, well, I was with this pl- <laughs> shut up. I was doing it with this player and the wife of someone else uh, of the team present. Yes, but you were doing it, so you're in the wrong. So, we're going to void your contract because we have a morals clause in it or whatever. Yeah. There's there's a lot of moving parts to this thing, and it's been such a like raft of stories that I mean we we tape on the weekend so we had to tape, but I would absolutely love if I was doing my other show I would totally have all this stuff on a notepad and like spend a day or two just kind of connecting it to see kind of what my general theme is. The UK scene seems to keep coming up though. So, like, I, I, I'm not as well-versed on, you know, kind of UK wrestling culture or whatever, but is there anything that accounts for this? Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know enough about their training. I don't know enough about, you know, the social scene there. I, I, I just – I can't comment on that per se. Uh, um, all I can do is comment on my observation. Uh, but, yeah, yeah I, I, don't, I don't know enough. Um, I don't know enough to take it deeper than that, but that does kind of stick out to me that, like, it's not like America is free of this problem, but, like, man, uh, they, they, you really saw a deluge of stories coming out of the U.K. here, um, and uh, not great. Well, l- let me lay out the grid here, and I'll let you <laughs> knock away at any of the logic of it or anything there's a there's a personal aspect to this and then there's just general aspects to it and i'll lay out the general first professional wrestling is full of carny creeps we get that even as far back as the territory days look it was there was there was a lot based on sex in this industry it is a cosmetic business the von erics were not loved for their particular wrestling acumen there were a lot of women who wanted to sleep with the Von Erics. And when you went to shows in the eighties, you kind of knew who the women were who wanted to sleep with Ricky Morton in the audience. You, you kind of knew were there to see the cute guys and, you know, and, and plus just the carny aspect of taking advantage of people, taking advantage of fans, things of that nature. You have another sector of the jockocracy, which is, you know, high school locker room crap, which goes on with, with men where sexual conquest. The abusive stuff too, the sexual conquest. Yes. But like I was just talking um, during the move here yesterday, we were talking about JBL and we got yeah. onto a big conversation about how JBL was a classic locker room bully. And, and I think that that's definitely a factor here. Definitely. The third part of this is, um, is the training part of it you have mentor student relationships you you have basically a lot of teachers who are are like it's the whole hey new crop of students new crop of women or men that i can hit on here you know so i don't have to go out and date because my life is this thing that i'm training and we we had this issue in, in improv a few years ago where a bunch of artistic directors and teachers were called out for pervy practices and and sexual abuse and, and things like that. And just even the, even if it works out, even if you have the best relationship possible, it still leads to issues down the road because you have, you know, internal politics of work. Like for example, in the improv community, you know, if, if one person is dating someone who is 
high up in the theater or whatever, that person will get more opportunities because we want to keep that other person happy. So it just complicates things on that level as well. But, but it still opens itself to misuse and misdeeds by people taking advantage of the mentor student situation. Oh, come here. I'll guide you. I'll show you the ropes, put your arm around her. You know, you know, if she's frustrated, you you know, there's ways to manipulate that. It's real simple. Anytime there's a power dynamic where one party has more power in an environment, whether it's at an office or an improv theater or in the white house, wherever, like, then it's inappropriate for these two people to have a relationship like with all other, all other things moved entirely to the side. One party has more power than the other in some sort of ordinate subordinate way. Uh, then it's just inappropriate for those two people to have a party. What's been very weird is um, I've worked in a number of places where like one of my old jobs, uh, there were, there, there was a situation where a, manager was in a relationship with like the supervisor of all managers Mm -hmm. um and like everyone knew don't don't step with uh we'll call him m um don't step to m because if you do that then s his uh significant other will come in and she will make your life hell (laughs) like these these relationships and these dynamics are always bad um and one other thing I'd add on to what you were saying is that I think lack of employment opportunities is part of the problem here. For the last 20 years or so, there has been a real pyramidal, um, pyramidal, I don't know why I said it like that, but a pyramid-like <laughs> uh, structure to the way wrestling works, where you have the indies, which serve as a feeder system to you know, TNA and Ring of Honor and some of these lower tier organizations, no knock on them. But you're, you're, all of these wrestlers ultimately are thinking about making a WWE run, or if they're a little bit more artistically inclined and a little bit more physically endowed, going over to New Japan and testing their metal and doing really big, long-form matches. But the money is in WWE. And I think having a really narrow system like that, um, which is kind of like Los Angeles comedy scene in the sense that like you're getting fed into a more and more narrow band that all the gigs are in Los Angeles, right? Like it's not like you're training in Los Angeles so that you can go make your big money out in in Seattle, Washington or something like that. Uh, the, The opportunities are in Los Angeles and to a lesser extent in Chicago and New York city. Yeah, and and the fourth part of my my grid is the show business aspect. You have the fan adulation, celebrity power dynamic as well. So, I mean, between all this, I mean, my my ground rules for personal conduct are: don't sleep with coworkers, don't sleep with trainees, don't sleep with fans. I I I know that is a really good takeaway. I think for a lot of performers here is that you can also be part of this inappropriate power dynamic. Yeah, I mean, if, if if I mean it, it, it I I don't want to see when you get into that though. You you get into shaming people for for putting themselves in a situation where conduct was done to them, and I don't want that to come off at all in this discussion. It's more of a responsibility of the person with the power. I mean, look, the person with the power has the responsibility. Yes. And so you, you can, I mean, you know, like for objective, neutral, vacant vessel performer X can be abused while at training school and then get into a relationship with a fan and they are the abuser there. 
they can both be the victim and the abuser. Uh, yeah. as, as they say, hurt people can hurt people. Um, and so, like, I think it can be both things. But what needs to happen is people need to be mindful that these power dynamics exist all over the place. Um, and I think, you know, part of it is that wrestling and also work environments and like a lot of other things have been sort of blissfully ignorant of the real nature of how power works for a very long time. Yeah, and, and there, there's the whole, for me, there's a the whole, look, part of being a better person is having restraint over your emotions and your urges. And, as, and, and look, I'm going to go into weird male-female dynamics here that a lot of people you know, think are old-fashioned, but as men, you do have a certain responsibility to both lead and protect. And it's not just about, Hey, I want to get laid or what about my, you know, what about my emotional needs and, and crap? Like, look, dude, <laughs> look, you can't sleep with everything that moves. You can't, you, you know, you can't use people. They're not your personal playground. Okay. And, and just because you have wants and needs doesn't relationships are for adults or not for children. And if you're an emotional child, don't go into them. I mean, that's, I, I hate to put it that bluntly, but. Well, I think it's, I mean, what you were saying earlier, using people to meet your needs, uh, especially when it gets kind of that base, um, it's inherently an exploitative dynamic. Uh, you can, you know, put whatever philosophy or drape whatever on top of it you want. But, um, you know, if, if people are serving a need-sufficing role in your life as a primary function, and really anyone could do it, um, provided they were willing to, like, that's it's not a great scenario to be in. Uh, that certainly smacks of exploitation. And then there's the whole other level of just plain vile evil stuff. I don't care if it's technically legal to date a 17-year-old, which... Apparently it was in the UK, uh, depending on 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 the situation. But oh, who, who are we referring to here? Travis Banks. Oh yeah. Oh God. Yeah. You know. Right. Um. I, we're in. I'm living in the South here. Uh. In Texas. Uh. Right now, Dallas, COVID capital of America. Not quite yet. Uh. Getting there. But like, it, I lived in Arizona too, where statutory rape laws were really uh, lax, shall we say? But look, dude. Um. 15, 20 years ago, and even before that. I mean, going back to, uh, you, you remember that election for senator in Alabama? Uh, like, everybody knows it's not appropriate to have relationships with this sort of dynamic. It, it, you, even the law is, is not the final arbiter on what is and is not right. And the Velveteen, dream, the law. The Velveteen dream stuff just really bugs me if it's him. It really does. It, 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 that's just... It's a bridge too far. Oh, yeah, sure. Sure. Um, um, but, I mean, and that gets into, uh, I mean, the Justin Roberts stuff. Uh, it, it, like, uh, unless those texts are fake, I found those really, um, like, unpleasant and uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, like, because, you know, that kind of gets into that pressure slash exploitation thing where it's like, oh, I'd really like to see some photos. Well, I'd really like to see some photos. You want to just maybe send me some photos? Um, like, that's very unpleasant. Uh, beyond very unpleasant, it's gross. I'm just trying to not 
I'm trying to keep the, the show family friendly. I don't know why. We said it was going to be PG-13. Yeah, but I, I, after I, feel, I feel bad about dropping F-bombs on this show for whatever reason. After a certain age, you can't be 23 and doing that crap. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I, I was on spot half plus seven. Um, yeah. which I think maybe is a, a good rule for some of these performers if you have an eye that drifts younger. Oh, jeez. And that's, you know, that's the other. <laughs> the Leonardo DiCaprio creepy aspect of it where it's like, well, she just, <laughs> jokes were flying fast and furious of, well, girlfriend just had her 23rd birthday. <laughs> this is it <laughs> gonna age out on that one you know that whole celebrity there's always a younger model aspect to it i yeah it's just it's sexual dynamics are complicated enough without bringing in the fact that people aren't good communicators um and, and that this is a nomadic business that yeah. attracts a certain personality type that is naturally attracted to some degree of instability. Um, so I, I was seeing Rich or Joe. I'm not sure who was on the Voices of Wrestling account when they were talking about this. But, um, That'd be Joe, I think. One of them said it's time to do away with training children. And I think yeah. that that's absolutely right. Um, I, I just it, it is there a way you could train some kid and get them ready? Sure. Um, and I believe that there's an exceptional case or whatever. Uh, ultimately, saying no training of children doesn't mean absolutely no children will be trained ever again. I, I'm sure the really exceptional ones who want to get in the ring or it, the third generation wrestler will get the training they need if they if that seems right for them. But we need to stop getting kids off the street who are like. 14 or 15 year old and you know getting him into a ring somewhere downtown and getting training on wrestling i, I, I no we or that's or you know just the general waiver of there has to be an adult in the room that has related that person at all times sure uh, that would sure. be my go around for that one because uh, part of this problem is that the tr you know oh you you parents have to leave now and i'm going to be alone with the kids or you drop them off like it's you know <laughs> karate class karate class uh, yeah kind of thing yeah no you you people need to be in there um teachers need to have background checks done I, it, this, and teachers probably need some supervision like parent like the parents being in there and watching the training probably would be a good thing yeah and really having a sit down between the teacher and and, and the instructor as to hey this is simulated violence <laughs> um, because I could see some parents just watching and go, oh, my God, I don't want my kid doing that. Oh, um, well, and also your kid's probably going to take a forearm or two to the face. Yes. And so, like, like, you know, you want to prepare your parent, the parents for that. But at the same time, it's like, uh, you know, we, we've been getting kids in football programs for years here. Uh, yeah, so I'm, but at, I'm not, I'm not super whole, worried. But, yeah. On the whole, I am in agreement with minors. You know, you should be 18 to be able to say, hey, I want to take a wrestling class. I'm good with that. Um, it just, it seems like a good practice. Um, and then, I mean, in terms of fixing this more broadly in the industry, uh, you know, this is where it's important to have organizations that are absolutely clear about what their policies are on this stuff. Um, and, I would even say organizations that err on the side of caution, especially when you have an issue 
um, like the wrestling industry has had for not just like this year, not just like the past decade, but for 20, 30, 40 years. I mean, go and read these old wrestlers biographies and you hear lots of allegations of sexual assault, liberties taken in the ring, all these sorts of things. Organizations need to make it clear that those days are over. And so that involves WWE creating a department, laying off some people who might have been problem figures in the past when it comes to this stuff. They won't do that. I have no delusions of that. Um, But did it with AEW as well. I I think that like all these organizations, sorry, I just want to finish the point here. I think they all need to set up a department that handles these things and make it clear a new sheriff has come to town and that behavior such as this is not going to be tolerated you mean like a human resources department Chris? I, yeah i know I, I i hate but like an, honestly a very narrow human like an adjunct to the human right. resources department kind of like you know like what wwe you know we're speculating their secret police their secret private investigators i mean look if you told me that there were secret police making sure the talent weren't doing inappropriate things um especially when you're paying them hundreds of thousands of dollars and you know the type of people that you're generally t- employing i don't think that's the worst thing in the world don't they're public figures my mind goes to those stories of old veterans kind of trashing the next generation as to well after the show they don't hang out at the bar they go to their rooms and they play video games right and, yeah i've been thinking about that quote for a while i'm like and it's maybe like those look, guys are cool i'm like look i get that there are a lot of great stories that start i was drinking and but there are a lot of bad stories that happen i was drinking and so i have no problem with guys just saying hey this is my job i like you guys but i'm not gonna come party with you I'm going to go to my room, play a few games. You want to join me? Fine. I'm going to call my wife, see what you up with her. And then I'm going to go to bed and I'm going to, cause I have a long road tomorrow to hit the next town. I, you know, the, the land storm chased stories appeal to me. I, I know that's weird, but it's like, oh, did you party? No, not really. I just kind of went to bed, talked to my wife. <laughs> the other thing is WWE. I, and I, I'm going to start with WWE here. Cause I don't know the other organizations, WWE's alcohol versus marijuana and other drug policies, but specifically marijuana creates an incentive structure where you are incentivized to go out and drink. Um, and I think in terms of liability, but also in terms of, you know, performance issues, um, you'd be better off if um, everyone was going back to their hotel room and smoking some weed than having them go out and drink because that's how you have the Usos with the DUI. That's how you have Jeff Hardy with the DUI. Um, that's how you have so many people abusing pain pills and alcohol because – you could get suspended for like 90 days or something for smoking weed, but you can get a DUI and we'll just work it into a storyline. Oh, we will get to that. Um, but I think we'd be remiss if we did not praise the bravery of the people coming out with these stories, both male and female. Um, no, this is great. We, uh, I mean, we, it's obviously well, not we, great. We've concentrated happened, more but like, on, it's a good on, thing. Yeah. We've concentrated more on blasting, the people who do these deeds. And I know that there were, there's been a few other wrestling shows who have had other women and female guests come on and talk about this. Um, 
but it, we, we haven't praised the people who, who have been brave enough with their story to come out. So I did want to, did want to end with that part of it because I felt like I was giving it short shrift. I think it goes back to the power dynamic thing. Um, and which is kind of my lens of viewing all this stuff is what makes these people so courageous and brave is that they are challenging power in an upward motion. Um, you know, someone like David Starr had a bit of a strong fan following going on Twitter um, and in the wrestling community and coming out and telling people a story about David Starr that a lot of people probably didn't want to hear because they liked the guy. Not that they didn't want to believe it or were incapable of believing, but didn't want to hear because they liked him. Um, it takes bravery to be able to come out there and speak the, you know, that phrase, truth to power. This is what it looks like. Yeah. So I, I think we should end there on this. Discussion. Oh, hey, we, I think we need to talk about riddle. Don't we? Oh, okay. And that, that yeah. Yeah, I know. Exactly. Cause I was going to say, if we do it in SmackDown, it's going to seem weird, right? Yeah, uh, you're, yeah. No, you're exactly right. Uh, one of the allegations was on a road trip in a van that riddle and a female wrestler slash trainee, uh, he forced her to have, uh, he wanted to have sex. He uh, more or less. Uh, the, the other people in the car, it, memory serves here, were sleeping. Riddle wanted to have sex. The other party did not want to have sex. Have and sex. Um, according to if my understanding is right, correct me if I'm wrong here. Um, he strangled her and then she uh, gave him oral sex. It was either that or he threatened to strangle her because who's gonna, who's gonna know, type of thing. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. And yeah. Then, yeah. And then, and then, and not giving her sex, thought that oral would get, would, would, would relent. Yeah. And then, of course, WWE puts, puts Riddle's debut on SmackDown instead of retaping something. First, they, they pull the announcement. Yeah. From the website, which led all of us to believe, um, you and I are going to chat during the week here as these stories break, and led us to believe, okay, so they're going to pull the Matt Riddle thing. And then they didn't pull the Matt Riddle thing. Right. And they just ran with it. Um, I, I guess their argument is this is already in the can, but we are talking about a show that has been heinously underwritten and written within the last hour of it going to air on a regular basis for the last three to five years. So the idea that they couldn't abandon ship or abort the mission if they really believed they needed to, we've seen them do it before. And so when WWE chooses to go full steam ahead with angles like this, it it makes you believe that there's like a, a statement being made or a that, tone that, deafness, just a general, yeah, we don't it, care what's going on. Either it's tone deafness. Yes. It's, it's one or the other. It, it's, it's the, we don't care. Um, we're not obligated to, which is really weird. I, I mean, like I think that vids probably in his weird twisted mind thinks that this is quote unquote social issue stuff and that he doesn't need to care about this any more than he needs to care about, let's say, George Floyd protests or Black Lives Matter or something like that, but it completely misunderstands that this is not some sort of like deep United States based Me Too issue. This is an issue directly affecting a performer that you're putting through a major push right now, buddy. And you need to actually sit down and think about it in not in the vacuum of politics, but in the vacuum of this is a top talent that you're presenting on TV. 
Right. And, oh, man, what was I going to say on, on, on that? I had a point and I just lost it all of a sudden because uh, I was too busy thinking about my, my – I was going to basically say, look, if you didn't like our take on, on the entire thing, I'm a middle-aged white guy. I'm a bit out of touch on these things. I get it. I never had a Lothario period where where, where I was getting laid. I, I didn't date all that much. I still haven't. It, it's one of those things where these types of situations, I just I don't have an expertise on them. Quite frankly, I just know bad behavior, and and I can point that out. And I just I. I this Matt Riddle thing. It, it, oh, I know the point I was going to make. I, I've talked myself back into it. it. Goes back into the detectives thing. It might be that they've investigated and found that there's something wrong with the allegation. Now, I'm not going to go that far to say that, but it might be in their minds. But this also goes to tone deafness. It doesn't matter what you found personally. Then just pull them for a week or pull two. Them for a week, yes. Until it. All- yeah, there's there is nothing that i mean if they stopped the matt riddle push this week there is nothing the way wwe presents stuff right now where it would affect or hurt his career in any way shape or form any more than starting or stopping an apollo cruz push you could would have hurt him, you could have written him off tv for a week like have right. him, have him you show could have him up. off for a month the way they do stuff on this yeah. show get jumped coming out into the parking lot for his big debut let this either come to fruition as fact or not fact and then go on with your plans. You don't need them right now. There's no crowds. There's no houses to build. No, no, no. It's, it's a full state. They are operating like looking for weird signals that aren't there and aren't going to be coming. And yet to your point, you just, you just stop. It's same with the Velveteen dream. The allegations come up. You are doing shows in empty houses with paper audiences. Just stop. Just stop pushing him. Focus on Loomis. The the, the baby face of 2020, stalker Dexter Loomis. We don't need closure to this story just yet. The the big (laughs) Adam Cole, Velveteen Dream feud. I mean, I I still don't understand. Why did we need to go through that match and then do the follow-up the next week? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't. This is a story that I think uh, most people are about as invested in as, like, you know, Cole versus Tommaso Ciampa. You could have very easily moved Adam Cole onto something else. Yeah, I very easily. Just oh, what what else? Uh, before we, I feel into- were there were there other Alex? I'm NXT UK because uh, like there are other people on that list. There's like Joe Coffey, Wolfgang was on Legero's a Legero. big one. And Legero's responses on this stuff have, have been this is bad. right, and I mean it's not the only thing I calibrate against. But when when there's an allegation, and then someone comes out and their response is immediately bad, I'm, I can kind of clean up what I was trying to get at earlier here. When there's an allegation and the other person's response is just bad, like David Starr or Legero, I kind of don't need to hear anything else. Joey Ryan's like like I'm a, I know I'm a bad person, but. I know I've taken advantage of people in the past, but <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it, it, Ligero's Twitter has gone down. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. They, I, I'm not qualified remotely to sit there and tell you what is and is not the right answer for something like this. I don't know. I'm not a PR firm, 
Um, but all I can tell you is I see wrong answers on a fairly regular basis, and uh, people should be taking note of what the wrong answer is. If there's a but in your sentence, uh, that's probably the wrong tactic. Yeah, it, it's okay. I'm a piece of crap, but I'm not a rapist. I'm like, well, how about you start with I'm not a rapist, but I'm a piece of crap. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's still not as good. It's still not great. <laughs> if you if you truly believe the allegations are false, yes. I honestly don't need the person to go a whole lot further than the allegations against me are completely false. And if you want to tack on a, you know, I'm I'm not perfect and my dating life is not filled with like you know, every moment is pure glory and pure nobility. I mean, sure. I actually don't think you need to include that because if people are honest with themselves, they'd all kind of be able to admit that like they haven't exactly bathed themselves with glory in every single relationship they've ever been in. We've all ghosted somebody. We've all, you know, not we've all cheated on somebody, but everybody has done some sort of like not great behavior in the context of dating. It just, yes, because there's a learning, it's a learning process and you are prone to do at least one dumb thing in your life. Yeah, yeah, or, or I mean, some people are just you know exploitative people. Um, yeah. not necessarily. Yeah, you know, like there's there's just lots of different things. I'm going, I'm uh, going from I'm going from the from the from my point of view versus versus the creep versus the evil point of view. The, you know, the awkward point of view where it's like, okay, I asked a girl out or I gave her a gift and made her uncomfortable, and the, 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 you know, there's a difference between that and evil shit. Okay, there yeah. is. <laughs> oh yeah, no, for sure. Like, like, look, there, there is socially awkward people all the time i i, I have uh, i have Go been to a so- women's wrestling show you'll see lots of them yeah i have well, for sure i i have been socially awkward i have also um had advances made on me by socially awkward people um and like look uh i don't i, I think i would hope that most people are uh, mature enough to know the difference between that um but but even then you know uh it's important to be mindful that like all this stuff can make people uncomfortable. Like there's lots of different ways one can be made uncomfortable. Other names of notes with accusations within WWE and elsewhere. Dave Christ. Um, oh, Dave Lagana. Dave they, Lagana. They, oh yeah. yeah, he's, yeah. He's gone from NWA. We forgot about him. Um, yeah. 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 No, uh, he's had a bit of a history. Uh, yeah. And I don't know that he's always, he's, I have no animus towards the guy. I uh, don't think, I don't think it's the same. I, I believe, I, I, if memory serves, Dave has bitten less. He didn't love the Lucha of the Hidden Temple show. Let's put it that way, Jeff. Yeah. Uh, Dave's <laughs> was more. It was. Yeah. I don't want to talk about it because because that whole note skeeved me out a bit, to be honest with you. Let's just say David Lagana is no longer with the NWA. And I, I will say this. Um when we were talking about organizational problems with NWA, like this last year, um, (laughs) no, the Cornette, but the Cornette thing, they, they wanted to scapegoat everything on just purely Cornette. And I didn't want to let them off the hook on that. Right. Yeah. But but the way, the reason I said that is Cornette's had new allegations come out. Oh, that's true. No, that's also true. Absolutely. Um, and God, Cornette's are horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, geez, Louise, uh, Cornette's wow. on the list. Uh, Sid Scala, unfortunately, is on the list. Oh, uh, no. What's, what are the allegations against Sid? I don't, have, abs- them, I don't have them in oh, front yeah. of me right now. No, I'm like learning about some of this stuff. Wolfgang. Uh, uh, 
is on the list. Yeah. Joe Coffee, as we said. Laguero, Travis Banks, Trent Seven, Tyler Bate. Uh, so, like, NXT UK is canceled. It's essentially. The- oh, Jordan Devlin <laughs> is on the list. <laughs> Mark Coffee is going to be the new champion of NXT UK. Well, this Walter's is all not said on done. there yet. I mean, we, but we. Well, okay, Kaylee. all right. Look, I'm here for this Mark Coffee Walter angle. I'm here. For, I'm here for Kaylee Ray taking the title. And just saying the hell with all the men. Give it to the woman and see what happens there. Because <laughs> um, she's the baddest woman on the planet right now in terms of the WWE Universe, other than uh, maybe Aunt Pam. Um, yeah, and just a lot more names, a lot, of, a lot of allegations out there. This is going to, this is going to continue to ripple, quite frankly, because I think more people are going to lose their jobs. Uh I don't know if denial will be a great strategy for people to try and hoard it off. I, I'm of the opinion, come clean and take your punishment and then go get help. But you don't need to advertise you're getting help. Just go get it. Because Yeah, and just disappear for a while. Yeah, and just go away for a and while. And then change. The change. Mark Halperin thing, you know, where he, he, didn't, he didn't disappear. He just kind of waited a month and said, hey, I'd like my job in media back. Yeah. Oh, no, or, or even worse, if we're going to go there, Matt Lauer. Yeah, Matt Lauer. Oh. Like, I, I know what it's like <laughs> to have been, you know, I do have been, it's like, no, I've been unfairly dude. maligned. Yeah, been unfairly <laughs> the cancel maligned. culture is coming for me. Yeah, nobody at NBC ever got fired for any of that crap either, which kills me. It's just Matt Lauer has to go away for a while and then come back like he, nothing happened. Screw you. you know, take your medicine. You know, reap what you sow. Because if, if you deny, 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 and then we find out it's true, it's going to be even worse. It's going to be worse. And I know some of these people are going to think they can outrun this stuff, but you can't. I mean, unless unless it's completely false, which is something I've dealt with, but it's 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 rare. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing slab packs from Arena Club. Com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy slab packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying oh hey look at some random cards or whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded 
by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Yeah, no, I, I, I have I have dealt with this. Well, we actually talked about it on the show here. I, I have dealt with this. It's not as though, like, look, I can... We, we talked about the, the person who claimed that I destroyed all of her belongings and I had to, like, put yeah. up pictures and she deleted her GoFundMe or whatever. Like, it's not that everyone's always honest all the time, especially not in relationships. Um, yeah. so I'm not naive on this, but um, look, uh, there's a ring of truth, and I don't want to sound like, oh, God, who's uh, the guy? Which justice said, I know pornography when I see it. Oh, that's uh, that, oh, uh, uh, Potter. Potter. Yeah, Wendell Potter. I, I always go Brendan, but it's not Brendan. It's Potter. Yeah, Wendell Potter. Yeah, like I'm not like the ring of truth, man. I don't. It, it's a feeling. Wait, it's mood on, on that. I'm damn wrong on that. Oh, it's Potter Stewart. Potter Stewart. Okay, not Wendell Potter. Potter yeah. Stewart. Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, my brain for a I knew long there was time. was a Potter in there. I just, you know. I know yeah, my, no, I know and my, I knew it. I know my SCOTUS. Come on. <laughs> I like, I like me some SCOTUS talk. Uh, but yeah, no, like, look, the Ring of Truth, you, you can tell when someone is being honest with their denial. You can tell when someone's hiding the ball with something. Um, you can tell, like in the case of Cornette, um, Joey Janela, uh, who who maybe has credibility issues, but he was kind of blowing the whistle on the Jim Cornette party thing um, back in March of this year. Uh, so, like, if some of these things have been hanging around for a while as rumors, and then those rumors become more substantiated, that to me has the ring of truth. If an allegation comes out and a performer comes out and says something that sounds ridiculous that to me means that the allegation has the ring of truth like i the ring of truth it's a little bit conceptual it's a little bit abstract it's a little bit feels over reels but like i don't know man you you gotta just kind of take your life experience your experience of when people have been telling the truth and not been telling the truth in the past um and you know kind of hopefully some road wisdom inquired along the way here and think your way through some of these allegations, but most of them, 85, 90% of them are going to be true because it takes so much courage to come out and actually lobby these allegations or conversely, tons and tons and tons of money. But that's not what's going on with any of these. And, and, and there is the, I mean, I was, I don't like talking about this a lot, but I was a victim of sexual abuse as a, as a very, very young child. And you repress that stuff. And then, then sometimes it just, I mean, like it came up in my thirties when I started going to therapy for anger 
and it's and and you know i had a temper and i had a short fuse and i was frustrated and yeah i'd almost forgotten about it it was always on my mind but it was every single memory you had i I had one neighbor who beat the crap out of me and i had another who basically raped me and it was one of those things where i had forgotten half of that equation and and just sometimes sometimes you just need a trigger to remember things and and it takes a lot of nerve and a not nerve but courage nerve sounds negative courage to openly talk about that kind of stuff yeah anger is really weird right I, this is like way off the beaten path of wrestling talk but i assume everyone who did today not to hear so much about the results of smackdown uh well, but the yeah. more here i mean our me, thoughts on this for me it was i, I tried dating after a long layoff of not trying and I got humiliated by someone in public and that, that just set me off. And it, 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 cause I don't, I have other things that being humiliated just brings up, but it, it was just one of those things where I, my, I bottle stuff in and I just, right. That, that got me in. And it's like, look, I need some help. I did for a number of years. It took antidepressants, and then, and then that eventually led into, you know, religion and, and things like that. But, you know, I didn't, I didn't announce anything. I didn't try and get a position at a theater back that I previously had at that time. It was, you know, it was. What I'm saying, or what I was saying is Sorry. that I, I think <laughs> when you have anger or you identify that you are particularly angry um, and that can be. anger is going to manifest in a lot of different ways um as someone who you've dealt with anger issues i have dealt with anger issues um i could even say i'm still dealing with anger issues to a certain extent although it's an ongoing thing it never goes away yeah no it never goes away but like dude i'm so much less angry now than i was like even five years ago i I listen to like old shows of me and like i i've really i made good progress looking inward and actually thinking about what's going on with the anger and what i was going to say is the anger is like always a secondary emotion and they'll teach you this stuff in therapy but like what that means is that whatever is making you angry is it it is some secondary function usually of fear or sorrow but there is a there's a primary emotion that's underpinning it that is manifesting in anger um and it can be as as a male but like i see just as many many angry women so anger is not like distinct to any one gender or no whatever. but it is the most easily accessible emotion as, as i was taught in acting and that's yeah why, no that's i, I, I don't want to watch you don't want to watch scenes of people being angry with each other all the time someone has to relent at some point to another emotion because watching people be angry with each other is uncomfortable but it's also an easy choice to make because all you have to do is rage the whole time. You don't have to have any emotional investment other than anger in it. And so I, I think it doesn't play well on the screen or even on the radio in particular. I, I know some people like rage radio or whatever, but like, I don't think it plays particularly well for any, for any length of time. What's it, your be- hot takes on backlash? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, I mean, <laughs> wrong again, Hawkins. Uh, <laughs> like, um, I don't think it plays particularly well on those in those dynamics because usually because it's a veil anger is always a a veil for the other thing that's going on so when we see two people on the screen just yelling at each other we know that they're not purely at rage with one another or if they were even even if they were yelling at each other and then start punching each other 
odds are there's something that underpins that. Like, well, you just hit my girlfriend with a beer bottle. And yes, I'm angry about it. But really, what's actually underpinning, you know, my rage here, my anger is that I'm concerned and distressed that, you know, the person I'm with has now a giant welt on her head and is bleeding from her skull and she's crying and this is all very upsetting and distressing to me and you disrespected her. And all of that sums up into anger. Um, but the more interesting thing in terms of acting um, and also the more honest thing in terms of being a person is to actually explore all those other things that are going on there. Um, because, you know, you're, what you are is concerned. You're concerned and you're, you're afraid. Uh, you obviously don't want more injury to befall your partner. Um, and that's all manifesting in a form of rage versus, you know, like no one just starts off angry, right? Like anger always has to be motivated. Mm-hmm. Ah, so that's, <laughs> it's a free therapy session for everybody, guys. So everybody come together, give a group hug. Um, we're not going to go explore your anger guys. Explore. Why are you so angry? <laughs> Because WWE is terrible programming. Um, <laughs> laughter is laughter is good too. Yeah, learn uh, learn to laugh. Also in the news, uh, SmackDown tapings shut down. Actually, all tapings shut down because a PC trainee came in testing positive for COVID. Positive for COVID after they went off site and got a test elsewhere. And oh, I, I, I forgot about that. Yeah, no, I, I think that's really important here. I'm in the setup, not not you know, dogging you here, because I think it speaks to the this issue that WWE has had staring them in the face that we've been covering for months here, which is that they are not taking the coronavirus seriously. And time and again, WWE as an organization has been downplaying the risks of COVID, trying to find ways to where the laws of biology and virology don't really apply to them, do the bare minimum to kind of keep things going. Uh, there's been some allegations that, uh, you know, politics has even been involved in them still being able to run in Florida at this point. Uh, and I mean, you know, you're hearing going into these tapings that Vince didn't want people to have masks on because he didn't like the way the masks looked. Um, you, they, the spit glass thing, not a bad idea, but then he's got everyone standing in there and socially distancing, and they go, oh, we're doing testing. But the thing is, with a lot of the tests, um, as we know, the tests are not 100% accurate. Um, the best tests, I think, are only 90% accurate, which means that 9 out of 10 of them work, which means 1 out of every 10 might not work. And if you're going to have 30 to 50 people on site, uh, which, you know, if you're thinking about who's in the audience, plus who's serving as the camera crew and who's serving as the announce team, even look at the way some of these things are shot backstage. Even if you had 90% effective tests, the odds of failure are pretty darn high once you're getting above 40 to 50 people on site. There's a couple other factors to, to play in here as well. This was the first week where it was not just trainees at the performance center but certain fans and they were told they weren't pressured to wear masks um at the tapings also uh on site for the tapings rick flair who is in his 70s who look they've they've done a pretty good job of keeping jerry lawler away 
say for that first week where he's kind of, you know, he's flying on a plane and coming out there. Now we have Ric Flair out there. Vince is in his 70s. Uh, you, the Ric Flair thing's really inexplicable, but again, gets back to blind spot stuff where it's like, I know that this organization values Ric Flair. Like, I, I know that he matters to Triple H as a human being. I know that people care about Ric Flair working for WWE. They are just so blind spotted on the severity of COVID-19 that they think that it's a good idea to have Rick Flair come in here just to do a little guest spot. Because the, the worst part about this is it's not as though this was essential characterization that Rick Flair was really offering to Charlotte. Jeez. Oh, or, or even to Christian. Right. Yeah, also true. Uh, if anything, Ric Flair's insertion into the Christian angle was really non-sequitur. Unless they're going to do some stable with Randy Orton and, and Charlotte, which I, I just, I don't see Flair being a week-to-week character as, as something. But, but I'm, I'm, He has a hard time to... with dialogue at this stage, I... and sometimes it's hard to understand what Rick's saying. He's still a bigger star than anybody, anybody on this roster, so it just sucks away from making people bigger stars than they already are. But that's, that wasn't the point I wanted to get to. The point I wanted to get to is look, Flair has worked for Vince. Everybody who's worked for Vince knows that Vince doesn't believe in illness. He believes, you know, it's, it's, it's weakness and not having control over your body and stuff. like that. I don't even think it's just COVID stuff. I think it's just Vince. No, I think this is deeper. No, I, 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 this is what I'm saying. It's not, I think one would be wrongheaded to assume that it's like a knee-jerk reaction to politics. Uh, I, it's, it's deep. It's like the stuff that Dark Order and Mr. Brody Lee's character is ribbing Vince on. Vince has these very weird pet theories about yeah, and, the and world. Too many people dismiss it as, oh, well, Vince, is, Vince and Trump are friends. But, uh, Vince isn't the kind of person to have friends. He has people he can use at any certain point. And they're similar in the sense that they both have pet theories. Like, 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 you know, Donald Trump has the thing about thinking that the human being energy is like a battery and that you've only got a finite amount of stuff. And, and in this sense, they're similar, but it's not like he's picking it up from Trump. It's just Vince is like this, too. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> Many people are, you know, it, it's just, hey, listen to the stories of people who have worked there for years who, you know, if somebody sneezed in a room that they get yelled at for it and you just kind of go, okay. Or Vince eating a massive steak and sort of, you know, <laughs> just just eating it with his bare hands and not having you know, like he doesn't weird. want to be caught eating. He either. Yeah, right, right. Doesn't want to be caught eating. Um, but when he does eat, he eats weird stuff. Yeah, and he eats weirdly. Steak and ketchup wraps. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, I. And then they just went back to the. Well, see, that might play into why they didn't cut the riddle part either. So. Well, they, they don't see a problem with that or, um, or that they didn't have time to reshoot anything. Although. Yeah, I, I guess. But you could always, I mean, worst comes worst, you could always take it live. Yeah, that's, um, that's Yeah, you know, like there's really the whole weird audience dynamic that WWE is insisting on right now is entirely artificial. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if they needed to, they could just tape a good match and have commentary, put it over and be energetic about it and, I would rather them do that and do the right thing. And if it means that we don't have a fake audience for the week, or if they really need to, you know, punch it in, sweeten in the audience. If you guys really think that's going to make the difference. Um, 
I'd rather them do that than do the wrong thing or start start with a Matt Riddle push that's utterly ill-advised and have to hit the abort button on it a week from now. <laughs> not uh, not going to go too deep into the graps, I guess, because it's not it's not as important. But uh, we are NWA fans, and we did we did go onto the Lagana thing. But uh, our boy Ricky Starks made his AEW debut, and he is now a part of the roster. Uh, I thought the match was good. I thought the promo wasn't. I, I thought he, he didn't come off as big a star as he did in NWA, and that might, just might be that his charisma carries a bit harder on the on the more intimate setting. But It's I, a look thing. I, yeah. I think Ricky needs – he just needs to update the presentation a little bit. A little I mean, more flashy. A little more flash with him. A I little think. more classy even. Yeah. Like Ricky Starks – I want to see him in button-ups and slacks and stuff. Uh, he doesn't need to be like Hollywood, but like the, the he's like almost the doing a videos ju- he does. He does he does videos of himself like almost like '80s style type things with like like almost the Leo Rush thing that that yeah yeah yeah. I, I don't need him to go full Zicky Dice, but like um uh, yeah I I think him you know he should be a Johnny Cool guy, and right now he's being a Johnny Cena. And I, I need him to hip it up a little bit. Yeah, I, I uh, the match was really good with Cody. Uh, I agree. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I'm trying to figure out though. I don't need him. I don't need him to be MJF obnoxious, but I need him to be a bit more obnoxious because it's obvious that's that's the that's the gimmick. Yes. Yeah. He he's just he's a little too much of a. It, you know what was weird? Okay. To that point, what's weird about that dynamic then is you have like Cody and Stark squaring off, and it's like Cody is slowly going heel. Yeah. And Starks is supposed to kind of be a heel too, and so it, it was a it was an interesting dynamic in that match. Yeah. Not bad. Uh, the other only other real big thing. I mean, I I'm. <laughs> I'm a little frustrated with this tag team feud thing because I, I just I, I just think it makes the revival look not not like the powerhouses that I think they should be coming off as. They just look like another team in a four way. Uh, I loved the Britt Baker thing. I, I thought that was absolutely fantastic with her passing notes in the during the Abaddon Anna J. That broad needs to find Jesus. I. <laughs> I laugh my ass off that one. She, she's so funny. Um, I, I actually kind of like what they're doing with Dark Order still. Mm-hmm. Like, they're, they're just kind of like in the background. I, I think picking up Anna Jay here uh, this first week was a, was a slick move. Um, they, they could Especially use it. after the baby face. Because she, yeah. she went from heel to baby face, did the baby face kind of personality profile, and now she's going to be reestablished as a heel. I kind of dig that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree too. Um, I, I think it's totally fine. Um, I don't like the reestablish that I don't like is, uh, what's going on with QT Marshall and Allie. I just yeah. don't, I, it doesn't add anything, uh, to me. Um, and I, the Brandy Rose Allie dynamic is not particularly interesting and I just, it, it's, it's just there. You know what I like though? I liked this MJF versus Billy Gunn match. Yeah. I dug it. I this, is, this is a good match. Um, like I, I kind of a classic story. Billy looks good. Uh, I like MJF trying to chop down the tree. I like Billy making some mistakes, but they kept Billy looking fairly strong here. 
Uh, he even had the part where he hit the famouser but just couldn't quite get over to MJF for the pin. So, like, the, the things that they did is Billy made mistakes here along the way, or MJF did just enough to keep himself from losing, which I think is – MJF's matches – are well formatted in that he always shows enough ass to keep the baby face that he's up against looking strong and credible. Right. There's two spots in here because this goes into my other final point on AEW that that I didn't like. I, I'm, I'm a little over the MJF does something to a bigger guy poses, but backs up into him and kind of takes the, it, it's funny once. You got you got to take that out of the repertoire for a while for it to be funny again because he did that with Luchasaurus, he did that with someone else as well. The the whole there has to be different plays on it, right? Yeah. Like so, like what? So he backs up. He realizes that sub the big guy's behind him, mm-hmm. and this time he tries to turn around, like like what Shorty G did, Chad Gable did to uh, Mojo Raleigh on SmackDown. Like only you have MJF as the heel turn around and try to pop. Billy Gunn in the face, and Billy Gunn just catches the hand. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I think that there are lots of interesting ways to spice up some of these beats. But, you know, MJF, I think, is still growing in the ring, too. He seems like a real student of the game. And I need a little bit less of Aubrey. I, I don't I, – I get that the referee is part of the show. She's become a little bit too much of the show for me. I watched her in an interview or like I saw like a quote from her from one of these yeah. interviews where she was like, I wouldn't have been able to be what I wanted to be in the ring if I was in WWE. And to, to that, I say, I don't think you need to quote unquote have as much personality. Um, like that's not actually what people want out of their referees. Um, it, you know, like Red Shoes Ono is a really good example. It's not like the way they've gimmicked him up over the last, like, seven, eight years here, but the way he was presented all the way up to, let's say, 2013, he would have an occasional comedy beat. Not like Earl Hebner or whatever, but, like, most of the time, you just knew Red Shoes because he was the good, competent, steady hand. I'll give you another um, example. I'll give you a, okay. Tommy Young. I love Tommy Young as a referee. He's probably my favorite referee to watch. But he only did the Tommy Young personality spot with Ric Flair in big matches with Ric Flair or on house shows with Ric Flair where, you know, Flair's hanging onto the rope and he kicks the, kicks the hand off of the rope and then they get in like the shoving match and he shoves Flair down for the comedy spot. That's the only time he did that. He never did that with any other heel. He never did that with any other babyface. Just Ric Flair in big time Ric Flair matches. And that's the only time I want something like that to happen. I don't want it every week in a match where someone where where Aubrey does something and then the heel gets in her face and things like that. Yeah, you know who had a lot of personality, Jeff, is Nick Patrick. <laughs> You know, I, I don't need this. Uh, I'll give you a little more great example. Here's what I need. I need Bronco Lubitsch. I just need someone oh. struggling, struggling oh. their ass off to get down for those three oh, times. We need That's 60, characterization. 65-year-old who has to get on all fours to count and then count <laughs> slow as molasses. <laughs> oh. One of the greatest referees of all no. time. No, no, no. <laughs> Now I'm now I'm hurt and and abused. I can't. I, oh. So Aubrey, I want you to study the greats. Uh, take it from your old pal Novi. Little Nate does. I mean, has personality, but he doesn't always. Show Absolutely. It. No, Although no. I, I, yeah. 
he does. No, what he what he does, it's the facials and stuff. So like mm-hmm. when there's like punches and stuff, like he kind of mini sells. She's uh, great at like, that. She is great yeah. at that too. I, I'll I'll get. I'm gonna give the devil her due. And I've seen, you know, there was a Sunny Kiss match where she and him did uh, did did a choreography thing to his music. I get that. It's fun for the indies type of thing. But yeah, like she's great at facials and reacting to matches. And things like, I, I, I like that part of it. It's just the, here's the Aubrey spot thing every week. I just and it's, it's moving so into Hebner territory. Yeah. It's, it's the way that Hebner and TNA became. Oh, when he chewed scenery. When, when yes. He, I'm the authority here and point to yes. his patch and threaten to throw him out. Yeah, that whole thing. And, and she's, she's moving into those impulses, the, the Hebner-Patrick territory, and I, I just can't. I'm not on board with that. Uh, I, I like my referees a little more muted just because like, look, um, this is not like comedy. It's a, a world where you have these two bombastic characters and the referee is supposed to be the anchor. Yeah. The straight man, the anchor to reality, the person that reminds us, Oh yeah, this is supposed to be a sporting event. Um, even though this guy came out dressed up like he's from 1982. Um, and this other person comes out like he lives in a crypt um, you have a normal sporting official in the ring. It also helps a- increase the, the dichotomy, right? So, like, when someone like Abaddon comes out, um, I want the referee almost a little mortified by Abaddon. Not mm-hmm. too much, but, like, trying to keep a straight face, but going like, whoa, this is really weird. Uh, this person's very different. Is she a zombie? Again, not hamming it up too much, but they are the anchor to normalcy that we have. Um, and so when the referee wants to get in on the zany then nothing anchors us back to normalcy. Yeah, like Rick Knox would get into things on PWG as well, and you're just kind of like, okay. I I want the happy medium between faceless, nameless guy that WWE does, which I think is too far to one end, and then Hebner on the other. I I want that happy medium spot where it's like, okay, you can do a spot in a big match. You know, like I think the John Cone thing, is that his name? Yeah, 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 yeah. This week, I thought that wasn't bad. I, I, and they've I done they a couple of well. spots with him, and they don't do it. They don't overdo it with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and I because they, they did some other. They did another. Well, they did another really weird angle with him. I can't remember it right now. Um, oh, they did the couple. they did the Nia um, Oscar rematch this week, where uh, where they accused him of doing a fast count after after getting shoved by Nia. Yeah, there's that, but there's another one where he like made like some sort of ruling or like yeah. a refer- Yeah, you I know what I'm talking I about. I what you're talking about, and then they, they yeah. kind of basically did it for the website and not, nothing else, and then it kind of got dropped. It was that's weird. Uh, so like there, there's a happy medium, and I kind of I get, I get what Aubrey is saying that you know a referee wants to be able to have a little bit more room to do some degree of characterization. I almost think that then to that point referees if they want to be more part of the plot stuff need to be part of the backstage office so like uh, if we're doing nxt here the referees the head official hangs out with william regal and they have some sort of dynamic together um and so quality control of the referees and the head referee is doing quality control under him yeah, exactly. And and they, they can even have a relationship. You know what yeah. I mean? Like you can you like the same way that like Sid Scala and Johnny Saint had a relationship. I think I think that that could be really interesting. Um have Aubrey, you know, have some sort of not like a 
romantic relationship, but like, you know, an interpersonal relationship where they rib each other and they have some sort of dynamic and, you know, I would honestly just keep it light. Don't make it too much of the plot point, but you could do something with them and give them some additional characterization. I just don't know that it needs to happen in the ring. I think it can happen backstage. Ice cold thoughts on backlash, which is a week out now. Um, I thought it was mostly good. I know a lot of people had an issue with Street Profits and Viking Raiders in the uh, Tazawa Ninja spot. I thought Bobby Lashley versus Drew McIntyre was better than it had a right to be. I, I love yeah. that match. I, and I loved MVP in it. I think MVP is fantastic as a heel manager. He, I agree. I agree. Because he talks trash to the opponent. And he helps, and he helps his, and he talks. Uh, he cheerleads for his guy. I thought the ending of that match was Drek, even though I called it in the in the preview of Lana coming down and oh, you cheated, uh, whatever. <laughs> MVP calling her a thought the next night. Oh my goodness, uh, <laughs> I thought that was going to be problematic for the week, but then we got into this other stuff. Um, Orton versus Edge, good match. Uh, was not the greatest match ever, but uh, they did the thing where I opined what would happen if we actually piped in cheers and stuff like that, and that made it weird. Made it oh really yeah, weird. no, I I, I hated that. I, I know some. I, apparently, this is a division point. I I am firmly on the. I absolutely hated the piped in noise. Um, and like, look, look at the runtime on this. Nearly forty five minutes. Good lord. 45 minutes. I, I, I watched this and like, look, it, there is definitely great wrestling going on in here. I'm going to say great wrestling because like yeah. there are sequences and stuff that are great, crisp. Edge and Orton could go. Great it's acting really, too. There was some great yeah. acting in here with Edge especially. But if you tighten, if this was tightened down to 25 minutes from 45 minutes, I think you've got a great wrestling match. At 44 minutes, uh, it seemed indulgent to me um and you could tell at various points um people had had time to catch a breather randy's uh not great at maintaining a, a level of exhaustion throughout so there were times where he just seemed fresher than other times in the match uh kind of inexplicably and i just thought it overstayed its welcome i hate when the audience is chanting this is awesome um, especially like it, fight forever, you know, 45 minutes in. <laughs> yeah. Right. No fight forever. And I'm like, no, actually I'd rather you didn't pal. Uh, like, like go home, go home, go oh, home. You kids in your short attention spans. Why back in my day, Ric Flair would do a 60 minute main event every night and twice on Sundays. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It, it, but the, you know, the, the gimmick for a lot of that stuff is you, you do different stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and it's tough to really justify a 45-something minute match. It's really hard to get. Yes, you can make a match go that long. Unless you make an exhaustion a part of the story. Right. And, and, and like you and I talk about this in, uh, offline, uh, but I'm a big fan of the idea that in a long-form match, I expect it to slow down a little bit. Um, I expect them to fire up towards the end here when they get that second wind and I want the slop I want the exhaustion I want the fatigue I like the idea like a fight. you like yes this is a siege it's it's why are there 12 rounds in a boxing match 
up, not because we expect round nine to be as crisp as round three, but specifically because we expect a breakdown and a fatigue by the time we get to round nine. That's where the intrigue is. That's where the drama is. And, and that's, yeah. why, that's why everybody loves the uh, – not everybody, most people of discerning taste love the, the steamboat – flare matches because it, it's just chop and chop and chop and kick and kick and kick and going around the ring and chopping the hell out of each other and then 25 minutes in you just see them both you know blistered and bloody and battered and now it's like okay now who's gonna who's gonna have the fortitude to win this match and then then you start to get on the edge of your seat watching whereas for me a lot of indie style is big move wait a second kind of sell it for a second go back full speed full speed full speeds full speed catch somebody with a move kick out catch somebody with a move kick out you know finisher 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 catch someone with a move pin and i just it's it's to me it's not as fun no i i agree um i i think that we were joking um, about doing a debate about pain thresholds and the, the death of kayfabe uh, but as the premise of this week's show here. This is uh, your Dan Lebertard tribute uh, commentary here. But <laughs> yeah, I, I just, um, I think that there is a better way to work in long form match that um, exemplifies exhaustion and selling and, making sure that people understand that the different wrestlers have different levels of pain um, and, and that different moves hurt more than others. Um, and a lot of times it's just, well, let's get to this next offense spot. Um, and the conceit there is, hey, we're wrestling. This is all fake um, or it worked. Um, and therefore, none of this stuff hurts all that bad. Um, I want to believe that that move might have actually scrambled his eggs a little bit. Yeah. Um, so, uh, anything else on uh, on backlash? I, I think the only real down point was Oscar Nia Jax being a double countout. I just didn't understand that at all. I don't understand protecting Nia like that. But you know, I I, I don't mind double countouts sometimes. I think it's I think it's one of those things where we haven't made enough use of countout losses and wins sometimes. No, I'm just really done with the. Nia Jax story like Nia Jax and Asuka is not a feud that I have any interest in seeing so I don't I don't hate it if I thought Asuka or I'm sorry if I thought Nia was worth protecting and keeping looking strong I guess from the WWE organizational sense uh, we want to keep Nia looking strong but Golly, to have matches, to have a great match with who? So as for the uh, television shows, we're not going to go blow by blow on these things, I don't think. We've, we've spent enough time today uh, talking, but it ver- all three products, uh, Red Show, Blue Show, Black and Yellow Show, felt like Bruce Pritchard shows. Bruce doesn't like as much wrestling as he does character interaction type of segments felt like there was a lot of that across the board. Um, (laughs) Next week, we're getting a celebratory toast by Seamus to Jeff Hardy. God. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. Like, let's talk about that. So this is offensive 
on at least two different levels, right? Jeff's a recovering alcoholic, and we're making light of the fact that Jeff, you know, has problems with abuse. Um, and, well, but and like, the story, but the story is that he's he's recovered, not that he's in recovery, but that he's in, in recovery. But also, depending on which promo you're listening to, he's still got these problems that could come back at any time. Yeah. And so, therefore, Irish, or Irish McShamus, the drinky drunk guy, because in Ireland they drink so much, he's going to show up with the pint. Because you see, in Ireland, they love drinking because they drink over there in Ireland because they're the drinky McDrunk guys. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, to your point, like, I, I do have to believe that on a certain level, it really is just organizational tone deafness. It's not to excuse it, but, like, I don't think they hate Seamus. I don't think they're trying to make some sort of statement about Ireland being a land of heavy drinkers. I think that like in this organization of WWE, they don't even realize that this is the stereotype they're trading in. Highlight for me of the week across the board was aunt Pam and her sassy friend. Uh, Bailey and Sasha were fantastic this week. They're so funny on commentary, aren't they? Oh yeah. No, they're, they're, they're great. They're great. Every outing. Um, and, Heel Billy, <laughs> heel Billy is, keeps getting better and better, but I, I almost don't want the ride with her and Sasha to end. Yeah, like I, I want them to have a fake out of them having a blow up the first time, and then keep it going a little bit longer than the second time they actually had the blow up. My one acting note to her would be: don't uh, be obnoxious from point one. Don't work your way into it. She did it on the raw promo. I think because it was birthday week. So she was really trying to be serious for that for a second before she made the obnoxious reveal and got the birthday cake in the hair is, is peak obnoxious. And I loved it. Uh, I thought the match on Wednesday with Shotzi and, and Tegan Knox went rather well. I thought they led them through. I mean, Shotzi had some initial shakiness there, but after that, it became a pretty nice story. I thought. Yeah, no, I mean, look, uh, Bailey, Bailey and Sasha workhorse, kid. Workhorse yes. Both of them. They can, and Tegan's good too. Yeah. So when you've got three of the four participants who are good quality hands, they can guide the fourth participant here, Shotzi, to a good, well-worked match. I, Shotzi's on. Let, let, let's look. We've, we've slacked okay. Shotzi a bit. When okay. Shotzi, all right. When Shotzi's smooth, when she has it going, she's very good. It, it's just, it, it's hit or miss sometimes. I'm looking forward to seeing this smooth Shotzi match. <laughs> In its entirety. Yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 I wait with bated breath. Okay. Um, yeah, but um, <laughs> they just brought her out for that tag team match on SmackDown to be obnoxious on the mic, and I loved it. I didn't understand the point of it, but okay. Other than, other than it was a nice – I actually liked that Sasha got the win over Nikki Cross. I, I did. I, I, th- I think. I think. No. Okay. So that's important, right? So the the whole reason I, I think they need to do that is because they need to exhibit that Bailey, when she finally decides that Sasha is the weak link, is utterly wrong about this. So I yeah. expect a booking pattern that's going to kind of go. Sasha picks up wins mostly. Bailey mostly dumps wins. Um, and then they maybe pull it together in these tag matches. But but Sasha's actually going to be the one that's kind of carrying them as a tag team. I'm good with that. I mean, this. I'm yeah, I think that's right. Ride on the story, I liked. I liked the three way a little bit more than some people uh, on on Sunday. Uh, I, I think I thought certain parts of that match were rough, but but a lot of it was 
smoother than I expected it to be. I kind of like the Iconics involvement in this, but I'd like to get them. I wish there were another babyface team to put in here because having the Iconics in here makes it a little weird because I love the Iconics re- reformed badassness, but if they're playing up, if they're playing up flaws in the, in all three of these teams' friendship, which it seems like they might be doing, because the Alexa Nikki post match was kind of like, yeah, you're the weak link here, and it seems like Billy and Peyton have a weak link story going on as well. That's kind of been buried for a little bit. That'll probably rear its head again. Yeah, no, it seems like the Iconics are the one that are most cohesive right now, but there's definitely. But they're also the ones that have the most chance of breaking up immediately. Right, yeah, but but Bliss also does seem to be like arms lengthening and deferring back to her heel mode here. Ultimately, it's like Apollo Cruz is on his way to yet another possible heel turn. They kind of teased this before with MVP, and now they kind of did it again with him putting the arm around the rope. And it, but it was the it was the baby face giving the heel what the heel was trying to do type of thing. Yeah, he's going like tweener-ish. Kind of like yeah. I, there's an analogy between him and like Cody Rhodes. Uh, or Charlotte, right depending on the week. Yeah, it, well, okay, but I think I think it's a little bit more steady characterization a la Cody. That's the other thing I liked. I liked Io Shirai's interaction with Sasha and, and Bailey. I, I, I'll take those two matches any day of the week, please. Absolutely. No, I'm, I'm into that. Um, Damian Priest defeating Killian Dane. Don't have a ton to say about that. Priest just doesn't do much for me. I, I It's so weird to have Dane. Um, Killian Dane, they, they kind of, they built him up at one point here, but my God, they just, they've done nothing with the guy. The whole, um, oh my God, my tires are slashed. Uh, you know, I, yeah. I, I love, I want to call him Trevor Lee. What's his name again? Uh, Killian Dane? No, Trevor Lee. Uh... Trevor Lee. Oh, oh uh, Cameron Grimes. Cameron Grimes. The, the whole get the guy I call you an Uber evil thing while speeding off and him being in the background as Priest comes in with his car. It was well executed. It's just a little mustache twirly for me. Yeah, right. And I don't really think they earned the Cameron Grimes, Damian Priest animus thing because they were like kind of boys. Um, it's, it's, it's like. I remember last week he came out after. Uh, after, you know, taking credit or like uh, he basically was slagging uh, Damian Priest lost against Finn Balor. at takeover. Right. Right. No, no. I, I remember that. It's just that came out of nowhere. Like it was a weird thing for Grimes to do that last week. And uh, yeah. Anyways, um, other weird things on this show. Robert Stone. I hate this Robert Stone. Oh, the gimmick. puking spot was. Puking. Well, everyone's a drunk now on the show, Jeff. Everyone's got an alcohol problem. Yeah, I. They they, they know they, they know how to remain, one angle. They always remain in a state of the character as they were the previous week. So it's not that it's not that Robert Stone got drunk one week, went home, got himself cleaned up, and might be a little bit sad or a little bit on edge. No, he's come back and he's still drunk. He's on a bender for the last week. Um, the lost weekend. He's he's the lost seven he's, days. He's Bill, yeah. he's Bill Holden in Sunset Boulevard. All of a sudden, what what is he? <laughs> the Robert Stone brand is a rolling blackout. Uh, then yeah, Kai defeats Caden Carter. Um, yeah, I'm fine I, with I, this. I'm fine with. Uh, I'm, late I'm with fine. Uh, I don't like having Caden in this spot, and and just like I guess my issue with the women's division right now is all these. 
new names feel really cold. They don't have the lawn darted. I thought was hilarious. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That that was funny. Um, Bronson Reed versus Leon Ruff. I mean, I, who believes that Bronson Reed is going to be carrying cross? Nobody, but nobody. Ruff is a great, great addition to this roster. I I like him. him. I know. He can keep losing, but he's going to get that one win. And it should be a big one, and hopefully they follow up on it because that seems to be the story they're going to go with here. I, it'll be fun. Um, is he, he beats Keith Lee? Because you just you'd almost not believe it. Um, but he has like a one, two, three kid sort of odd razor mode moment against Keith Lee. I think he beats. He wins the cruiserweight title. That's how I would do it, but that's me. I mean, yeah, yeah. I just think that's too easy. I, I, I just it's too like if, if you want to book a guy as a real underdog, have him beat a heavyweight, an established heavyweight, um, and also someone who can take it in stride um, versus want revenge. Because like let's say it was like Karrion Cross, then you'd expect Karrion Cross to be on the warpath to massacre Leon Roth, and you'd have no way of getting off of that ramp. Whereas I think Keith Lee could drop the title of Leon Roth and actually be happy for this guy that this guy was the better man. Um, it works a little bit better with the baby face. Yeah, I like Phantasma. Um, whatever. Is. I don't like him as Santos Escobar. I don't like him as Santos Escobar, and I don't like because because we've talked about this before. How WWE does stables is you have the one guy and you have cannon fodder, but the problem is the two young guys are the guys that need the wins here. And I don't, you know, you need to establish Mendoza and Joaquin Wild as guys and i just i don't think they have that in them i I, it's maverick's also the wrong type of baby face to be going up against a faction because like what would normally need to happen is like drake would need to go stone cold drake maverick on these guys he's gonna need to find friends and the friends are gonna be the ones that are gonna get over versus drake maverick right right yes if you want to keep the story focused on drake it's hard because yeah if he gets friends he would still need to have those friends. He would need to be the most capable of the friends. So you would need like Drake Maverick and Leon Ruff and some third person um, where Drake Maverick's still the big name here and Drake gets the pin over Fantasma. Baba Tunde comes out and just squashes them all. <laughs> yeah, Jake Atlas. I, I mean, you could probably, you know. It's going to be Atlas. Like, Atlas is going to, yeah. because that was the guy who came and picked him up, although I still I want him to turn on. I want him to turn so bad. <laughs> um, uh, are we bad people? Is that, is that what this no, means? But no, we're not. I, I feel like plot and narrative really dictates that Jake Atlas Atlas is the ultimate heel here. It's just Drake Maverick as mini Sting, where everybody just turns on him eventually. I'm kind of here for it. I'm kind of here, for, especially if it means that Drake Maverick, you know, like if it leads to matches and Drake Maverick has to go through this string of people like you're playing Mortal Kombat 2 and you're trying to beat it on, you know, medium or hard mode. You got that big, long mountain to climb. I'm fine with Drake Maverick getting his comeuppance. I didn't bring this up, but I'll end with this. Tazawa is a fantastic second for this big ninja guy. His facials are fantastic, but Tazawa is the most talented part of this ninja package. And unfortunately he's going to be the one taking the falls, I think, because I would have liked. Who is the big big ninja? I'd rather have big show. Who's playing the big ninja. I I haven't looked this up. I had his name. I'll, uh, I'll look it up. Uh, Riff a bit. Okay, yeah, like, look, um, I, it's hard for me to get 
really upset about Tozawa in this package, and here's why. Because if we're worried about stereotypes in Tozawa, I mean, fundamentally, the Street Profits gimmick is a stereotypes gimmick. Fundamentally, the Viking Raiders gimmick is a stereotypes gimmick. Uh, you wouldn't be able to, or W, not that you wouldn't be able to, because of course you could. Um, you could totally have Angelo Dawkins be into Viking stuff. There's nothing, there's no rules about that. But WWE, because of their implicit biases, because of their tone deafness, would never, ever, ever in a thousand years cast Angelo Dawkins as a Viking Raider, nor would they ever cast in a thousand years Roe as a member of the Street Profits. A black and, cowboy, that's wacky. <laughs> yeah, right. No, no, precisely, precisely. Um, like, like, so there, there's certain, it, it's like the same thing with Seamus and not seeing that you are making Seamus play Irish McDrunky pants, um, the, the fighting Irish guy who likes to drink and fight. Um, it's, it's that myopia. The name of the giant ninja is Jordan Omagbahin, oh. who, or Omagbahin. Um, seven foot three, which, you know, <laughs> I do like little guy, big guy dynamics. So Tozawa, but, but he's, but the, but the big guy is going to be Vince's project. He's going to, Oh, look how tall he is. My God. And then, you know, he'll get the win over big show. And then basically it'll eventually be, he turns on Tozawa. We, we know this story. We've seen it 8 million times. So, I mean, that's, I mean, among other things, like that's the problem. The lack of any sort of creativity with Sasawa is a problem. And like, like it goes back to our steady and sustaining critique of the way Japanese talent has been presented on WWE television that you and I have had for, oh, I don't know, two or three years now, going all the way back to Shinsuke Nakamura. Um, some of this stuff, I get why people were upset. I, and I, I understand all of that, but like some of these problems are just simply not there it's not new anger for me is right. the best way i can put it this is just i wouldn't say i've been beaten into expecting this or accept it's certainly not accepting it um but golly i don't expect vince's brain or heart to change um based on us doing a strongly worded podcast so a lot of heavy stuff this week. Let's end it there. You can follow me at Crap Game Thirteen. You can follow Chris at Chris Novembrino. You can just follow the show at Shake Them Ropes. Chris, plug your stuff. Yeah, so my other show is called Don't Worry About the Government. You can go and check that out over at Don'tWorry.tv. We're also on Patreon, Patreon.com/slash/dwatg. Go and check that out. There's premium content, new episodes coming out. I'm going to be taping a couple more this week here. Also, I've got a little bit of an informational campaign going. So if you're interested in information, you can find out who your district attorney is. All you have to do is hit me up on Twitter at Chris Novembrino or at DWATG. Say, you know, who is hashtag who is my DA? Uh, give us your town. I will tell you who your district attorney is and when they're up for reelection and give you some quick thoughts on it and let you take it from there. See you next week, kids. <laughs>